The Gospel of John, chapter 8, starting at verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisees said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I'm going, but you do not know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge according to the flesh. I I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I am the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would also you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. So he said to them again, I'm going away, and you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, Where I am going, you cannot come. He said to them, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, Who are you? Jesus said to them, Just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand what he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. As He was saying these things, many believed in Him. This is the word of the Lord. Austin. Let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you for this time. Pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help scales to fall from our eyes and stony walls to crumble around our hearts as we see you exalted in in your word. I pray that many of us here would be drawn to you as we see you lifted up. Have your way in this time, Holy Spirit. Do the work that you want to accomplish today and uh, Help me to get out of the way. In your name we pray. Amen. So Jesus claims something here. He makes a claim 
that if you catch it today, will totally set you free. Free from worry and despair and longing. Free from roaming around a cold, dark wilderness alone. And free to come into the light and the warmth and the place you were meant to live right there next to God. How many of you guys would like that today? There's people here in this passage we see that are stumbling on this claim. And they're stumbling on this claim that Jesus makes because of a few reasons. A couple that we're, we're going to point out that the text really highlights. One, because they just can't comprehend it. They don't get exactly what he's saying. And we'll see that throughout the text. Also, others of them just have a hard heart towards it. They get it. They get what he's saying, and they're not ready to receive it. They're not ready to accept it and live in light of it. But others are here in the text who do accept what Jesus claims, and their lives are changed forever. But what is this, what is this claim that stirs up so much emotion and controversy? It's right here in verse 12. We just read it. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And there's a certain way, I think, in our modern world, we can kind of understand. Let me just get this unwrapped here. That was very well done. I think there's a certain way in our modern world we can understand this because we have light bulbs and electricity and 24-hour cities, and you can work anytime you need to because we're not dependent on the sun, right? So if we start with our context, like when Jesus says he's the light of the world, that means something different than maybe it did perhaps 2,000 years ago in an agrarian society. So where was Jesus? What was going on when Jesus made this claim? Well, if you just by way of reminding you guys, because we're in chapter 8, so let's step back to chapter 6 and 7. Jesus is at something called the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a really unique time when you would, the whole nation of Israel set up tents and booths, and they lived in them for a time to remember what it was like when God led them from Egypt through the wilderness toward the promised land. And so this is their way of entering back into the story of God's deliverance and God's redemption in their life. And they're remembering this. And like each day of the feast, somebody would go to the Pool of Siloam and they'd get a pitcher and they'd take it over to the temple and pour it over the altar to commemorate the water that came from a rock and fed all of the Israelites in the wilderness. And they're remembering God's salvation, God's deliverance. Because how many of you guys have ever been to a wilderness, a desert? It can get pretty hot out there right? Pretty hot, blazing sun in the day, and then at night, does it stay hot? No, it drops crazy, doesn't it? It gets so cold and so dark, and there's, there's not a lot of water. There's not a lot of food, and God leads them for a very long time through this wilderness, and he provides for them. So the Feast of Tabernacles is them remembering this, and Jesus very meticulously enters into all of this imagery that they're remembering about God's salvation. And he takes the opportunity to point that to himself. So back in chapter six, remember he said, I am the bread that's come down from heaven. Remember, what's he talking about there? He's, manna, yeah, which means what is it? And that's how God miraculously fed the Israelites through that entire time. And in the chapter before this, he says, if any man will come to me and believe on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And he's talking about, if you read a lot of the commentaries, they'll point out, he's talking directly about that water 
that they're dumping on the altar every day to remember how God met their thirst? Yeah, met their thirst in the wilderness from a rock, right? And now in this chapter, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. Now, we can just say, well, that's kind of like the sun. And there's definitely some, some truth there. But Jesus is talking about something very particular here. See, every night of the feast, you know what they did? They took these big, you guys know what a menorah is? Like uh, Hanukkah time and a Jewish candlestick? Well, they had these giant menorahs, and they would light them in the candle courtyard. And the fire would light up the entire courtyard. You could see it all around Jerusalem. And it looked like the temple was on fire. And that signified something. Those, those lit up menorahs signified the glory cloud that God guided Israel with throughout the wilderness. And in the day when it was hot and, and the sun was pouring down, that cloud would give them shade. But at night, it became a pillar of fire. And what, what you guys remember the pillar of fire? What were some of the things that, that it did? Do you guys remember those stories? It guided them. They sensed the very presence of God with them in the camp. God is with us. He is for us. He is leading us. And then the like the pillar of fire would get up and it would move and they'd all like pack up and move with it. And then it would stop and they would stop. It was kind of like that ludicrous song. When I move, you move. Just like, it was just like that. (laughs) Naveed played that last night at a birthday party and it's, yeah. And so as the poet ludicrous said, what, what else did the glory cloud do? Anybody else? It's, it's a fire, right? And what's the desert like? Cold at night. So what's that fire doing? Warmth. Is the desert, like, at nighttime, is it bright and, like, beautiful and you can see far away? No. It's dark. It's unsafe. Enemies can sneak up on you. Wild animals into the camp, stealing away your young. Fire provided light. And Jesus is using all that imagery in this moment at the Feast of Tabernacles to say, guys, All of that stuff in the Old Testament, first of all, that's not some distant God for a long time ago. I'm right here, right now. I am your provider. I am am directing you. I am close to you. I'm God come near. I've got you. I love you. I'm for you. I am the light of this world. And if any of you will follow me, he will have the light of life. What an exquisite promise. I want to ask you guys, because that's, that's an audacious claim. When you think about that, do you, do you believe that? Do you believe right now, right here, in this moment in your life where you're living, that God cares for you? Do you believe, thank you, we got one amen. Do you believe that God is your provider? Do you believe he's leading and guiding you? You believe his plan even though it might lead you some places you may not be sure about, places you might even not want to go or would have planned to go, that he's got a good ultimate plan for you. Are you ready to follow the pillar of fire? Are you ready to walk in the light? We all struggle to believe that at times, don't we? I mean, I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you've never believed that, that Jesus is the light of the world. Or maybe you're here today and you've believed it at times. You've been walking with God for a long time, but there's been some times, maybe even recently, where you've really stumbled, where you really failed to believe that. And you know, I know all of us have struggled to believe this because 
if we didn't, we'd have perfect track records, wouldn't we? Like if I perfectly believed that God loved me, that he wanted to provide for me, I would never go outside of him and his will to search to provide for my own satisfaction, would I? My own pleasure. I would trust him. If I perfectly believed that he was leading me and guiding me where he wanted me to go, I wouldn't try to take control of my life and hold on to it with clenched fists and manipulate my way through things. I would trust. I would rest in his control. If I really believed Jesus Christ was the light of the world, I would not walk in the darkness. I would long for the light. We all struggle with this. We all sit here today, I think, a bundle of contradictions in some ways. Longing to trust him and his protection, yet fighting for control. Desiring his kingdom to come, but kind of wanting to be the king of it ourselves. Yearning for his nearness, but settling for the warm body of a stranger or the next high or diving too deep in the bottle. Taking good gifts of a loving father and rejecting him for them. Taking the good things of God and turning them into God things and worshiping them instead of him. And still, patiently, lovingly, gently, Jesus is here saying, I am the light. Follow me and you will have the light of life. And it's so important It's so important that we take these words seriously for a moment because Jesus means them. These aren't politicians' promises like we're hearing every day on the news that just kind of go out the window once election's over. Jesus means this for every human that will receive it. He is the light of the world. What a wonderful promise. If you will follow him, not just believe in him like he exists, but like the children of Israel had to follow the pillar of fire, if you'll follow him, if you'll trust, if you'll obey, if you'll let him be Lord of your life, you will have the light of life. What a wonderful promise. And I think that there's nothing more important for us today in our world than that because people all around us, the people you might know at work or school, are walking in darkness. In fact, later in the same gospel, Jesus says, the one that walks in darkness does not know where he's going. In John chapter 12, 35, how many people do you know who don't know where they're going? They don't even know what's down the road. They're headed for disaster, right? I mean, how many of you had experience walking in the dark? Yep. Yeah, a lot of us. Brian, where you at? <laughs> yep. Brian, Brian's got a broken toe for walking in the dark. <laughs> this just happened. And I know this because... I, this just happened to me, too. The other night, I woke up. I wanted to get a cup of water, super thirsty and parched. And at the end of our hallway by our bedroom door, those that are part of our missional community or have been over to our house, you know that Ivan's got a bike because we're in an apartment downtown. Where do you keep a bike? You know, you don't have like a... Maybe we should get like a ceiling rack. That'd be really cool. Anyway, so it's at the, it's at the end of the hallway right by my bedroom door, and I know I have to avoid it, so it's dark, and I go to avoid it, but somebody lovingly has placed... A, a giant blue Ikea bag full of folded clean towels right there in the one space where I would step. And so my foot catches on it. I go to fall over. I'm reaching out for anything. I grab the bike, pull it over on my head. Boom, two o'clock in the morning. And I'm alive here to tell about it. Yeah. Walking in the dark sucks. It does. It's no fun, right? We break our toes. We break our pride, all kinds of stuff. Yet so many people seem to be stumbling around in the dark, don't they? Wandering around in a wilderness, shivering out in the cold, trying to pick their way 
through so many truth claims. There are truth claims about almost everything everywhere now. In the media, in social media, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like people are super passionate. Have you, there's like a thousand explanations on any issue. Like if I had a media company, here's what I'd do if I wanted to make money. I would pick any issue. Cats with freaking laser beams coming out of their eyes. I would pick that issue and I would get two polarizing people who felt very strongly about different opinions. I'd put them on the air for 15 minutes to, to passionately debate cats with laser beams in their eyes. The merits, the pro and the con. And then I would show a commercial for soap. And I would sit back and I would collect a check. Who wins those debates? Yeah, the guy selling advertising, right? And it's funny, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day and he was like, man, it's weird. It's like our whole culture is being shaped by this. I remember jumping on social media and people were like, hey, I'm having a great day. This is what I ate today. And now if you make a declarative sentence about anything, the sky is blue. You're going to get five people that argue with you. Have you guys noticed this on Facebook? I got two no's. You guys probably don't have Facebook. That's probably, yeah. If you're on Facebook, you know this to be true. I mean, look at the, uh, the current political debates. I'm not even going to go there. But this is the most interesting election I think we've ever seen, right? People, it's like a mudslinging contest, regardless of who you're voting for. It's, it's crazy. Our world is totally ruled by varying opinions, strong opinions, volatile opinions, people getting so upset about everything. So many people... I've come to realize through reading Facebook posts, don't actually know what they believe. And Jesus comes into the darkness, into the craziness and confusion and the thousands of voices out there. And he says, guys, I actually know what's, what's the way. What's the truth? What's the life? I can help you. I can help you see through the dark and the confusion. I know what's true, what's false, what's dark, what's light, what's death, what's life. I'll turn up the light where there's darkness. You ever notice how when the Pharisees and the Sadducees would come at Jesus with these really polarizing issues of his day, and they'd be on one side and they'd say, all right, Jesus, which side is it? Which side are you going to side with? And you kind of expect Jesus to kind of pick the middle, but then he has this totally different perspective, and they're all confused, and they walk away scratching their heads. I wish we had more of that with Christians on Facebook. That would be amazing, right? These, where we understand life from an eternal elevated perspective where we start to see things not as just polemics to be argued about. And maybe you can agree with me. I found it to be so true that Jesus is the light. He shines through the darkness. But not only does he help me see what's true, he helps keep me warm, helps keep me safe from the cold, reminds me that he loves me, reminds me that he's in control of my life, that he's actually got a plan that he's leading me. He is the light of the world. Amen? Yeah. And I, yeah, thank you. At least one Pentecostal in the group. And he, here's the other thing. He, he not only, I love this other part. One more point before we move on. He not only says, I will give you light. But he says, I will give you the light of life. He says, I, that I will have the light of life. He makes us the light as well. In other words, the life he gives us becomes a light to others as we help people. It's what Kenny was saying last week. What God wants to do to you, he wants to do through you. Amen? Yeah. So we've got a light to share, and that's a beautiful picture. What a promise. And yet, when we hear this promise, I think we often struggle. And there's two things that come up in the text, 
And we, we can kind of, as we read what's going on with these people in the text, we see a glimpse into our own hearts. There's two things that they struggle with, and it's ignorance and arrogance. Ignorance and arrogance are the two things in the text that we see. Ignorance of the facts of who Jesus is and arrogance that refuses to accept those facts about him. Yeah, I get it. I get what he's saying. I just, I'm not ready for that yet. I don't believe that. I'm going to reject that. Notice in verse 14, Jesus says to these men, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going, but you do not know. You do not know. That's, that's ignorance. In verse 19, you know neither me nor my father. You don't know me. You don't know my father. That's ignorance. This is what Jesus is talking about. Ignorance is what's holding millions of people in darkness. You know, I heard recently, I need to actually back this up, but I heard recently that there's almost a billion people in the world that have never heard the gospel or the name of Jesus. Millions of people in darkness. Millions and millions. Many of those who have heard of him have heard a distorted, twisted, unreal picture of Jesus that makes him appear to be what he's not, i.e., look at this picture. Hipster Jesus. Bobblehead Jesus. Pop culture Jesus. We got a Jesus for everybody, right? And Jesus is my homeboy. It's so important that we see the true Jesus, the biblical one, as he is, as he explains himself. And the task of our church is to see Jesus more clearly and display him more faithfully. It's not just a truth. Guys, here's the point. It's not just a truth for other people out there today. This is a truth for us right here, right now where we're sitting. We all struggle with this, otherwise we'd be perfect. And so when you read this, just know that you're in good company because these people are standing in front of him, talking to him, listening to him, looking into his eyes, and they're struggling with the same belief issues that we have here today. So let's look at the passage. So the Pharisee said to him, verse 13, you're bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I'm going. But you don't know where I come from or where I'm going. You judge me according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it's written that the testimony of two people is true. Well, I'm the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. What are these people saying to Jesus? They're saying, hey, man, we reject you. We don't agree with what you're saying. We don't believe you're the lie of the world. And here's why. It's on the basis of a very narrow portion of evidence about him. They all looked at a very few facts about him that they could find fault with. They never looked at the whole mass of evidence of who he was. And it's the same with a lot of people today. A lot of people just look at they're already trying to reject him in their heart, and so they look for a few things that they can reject. The Pharisees tell him, hey, man, you're making these claims, <clears throat> but they're all coming from your mouth. Your lips are moving, but you lie, lie, lie. How can we believe you when you're the only one who's claiming this? How do we know that you're not just crazy? How do we know you're not just insane? These things you're saying, they're incredible. You're making yourself on par with God, and you expect us to believe you. And at first glance, it almost sounds reasonable. Because we want to protect ourselves, don't we? If some guy just showed up and claimed to be God, I'd be a little skeptical, right? That's, that's okay. We, want, we don't want to be fooled. We need more evidence than just the evidence of one man making a claim. 
And that is the basis for the argument of these Pharisees. But notice what Jesus says in his answer because it uncovers their heart. I love this. He says four things. First, he says, even if these are my own claims about myself, it's not really a reason to reject them. I mean, it may be reasonable to say, I'm not ready to accept your claims. I'm not ready to accept that you're the light of the world yet. I need some more evidence. That's reasonable. But what Jesus is saying is just because I claim these certain things is no reason to reject them. They may be true. And what you need to do is look for more evidence. You might not be ready to fully buy in, but don't reject me yet. Secondly, my knowledge about myself is a lot greater than your knowledge about me. I know who I am. I know a lot more facts about myself. I know where I came from. I know where I'm going. I know who I am. Have you noticed this principle? That people who really know who they are have a ton of confidence in life? It seems like people can hurl accusations and all kinds of stuff at them, and it doesn't really faze them because they're confident. They, they, they've got it. And, and yet so many other people don't know who they are, don't know, like Jesus says, where they came from, where they're going. They're wobbly, they're wishy-washy, they're uncertain, they're undependable. That's true of us as Christians, too. <clears throat> when Christians really believe what God says about them, when they refuse to listen, sometimes even to their own feelings that lie to them about who they are, but when they believe that God has made them new creatures in Jesus Christ, that they're free from the old life, that they're free from the old broken patterns of sin and habits that drag them down for so long. Those Christians have a tremendous sense of security and effectiveness in their lives, and that's what Jesus had. Look at the peace he had, craziness all around him, people hurling all kinds of accusations at him. And in the middle of that, he's got this quiet confidence and this peace. And that's why he can say to the Pharisees, I know who I am, but you do not. And then he gets to the heart of the issue. He points out to them that they are not interested in finding out who he is. That's the problem there, isn't it? They really don't want to know who he is. Remember back in chapter 5, he pointed this out to them too. He said, man, he didn't say man. He didn't say it exactly like this. I'm paraphrasing. I, I think we actually have the scripture up there, John 5. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. He wrote about me. They had the Old Testament scriptures. They'd read them from cover to cover, yet they hadn't understood them. They would have had plenty of evidence that Jesus was the Messiah, but they didn't believe the Old Testament. And today it's the same. Many believers, many of us, struggle in our daily walks for the same reason. We don't really believe what the Word of God says all the time, right? So we have no confidence or awareness of who Jesus is. Some of us here are afraid to trust His promises to provide. Some of us here are terrified of submitting to His control and His sovereignty and His plan for our life. Some of us really aren't sure if His heart is for us. And what we need more than anything is to see Jesus more clearly so that we can overcome the ignorance that clouds our hearts and become knowledgeable about Jesus and what we believe. We need to read our Bibles. We need to walk in prayer and get to know Jesus. We need to share stories of his grace and remind one another to see him high and lifted up. Amen? Yeah. <clears throat> we need to recount the stories of God's salvation. We need to do it all the time. Thirdly, Jesus tells them, you reject my claims because you look only at appearances. You're judging me according to the flesh. 
I'm not wealthy. I don't have any political ambition. I don't have any standing in, in the social realm, so you reject me. You even think I'm from Nazareth of Galilee. And you say, oh, he can't be the Messiah because he comes from Nazareth. But you haven't even taken time to research my life that I was actually born in Bethlehem, just like the prophet said. Right? You, you don't have an interest in really knowing about me. You think the Messiah is going to come and lead a revolt against Rome. And you know what? One day I will overturn Rome. But it's going to be in God's time, not in yours. But because it's not in your time, you're rejecting me. You're saying this can't be the Messiah because he doesn't fit the schematics that I'm looking for. So like many people today, they were saying no to Jesus because of insufficient evidence, but they never bothered to look at all the evidence that was actually there. And then lastly, fourthly, he points out, as a matter of fact, I do fulfill the law. You guys are saying the law needs two witnesses. Well, there are two. I'm my own witness, which is perfectly legal. If you, if you watch you know, any trial cases, a law and order or whatever, like we can testify about ourselves, right? That's part of judicial process. So Jesus says, I'm my own witness, and the other witness is the Father that fulfills the demands of the law. You ought to accept that. But what does Jesus mean when he says, the Father bears witness of me? We need to ask that today because I think for some people here, that might be a barrier. It might be a barrier for coming out of darkness and into light. And there's three things that the Gospel of John before this has been building toward and showing how the Father testifies to Jesus and witnesses to him. The first thing that we've seen over and over in the Gospel of John is the miraculous signs that Jesus has done, right? And I'm not talking about <clears throat> sleight of hand, magic tricks, card tricks on the street. You know, he's not David Copperfield out there doing some street tricks and then saying, all right, guys, $80 a ticket. I'll be at the MGM Grand. Come check me out, right? That's, it's not what Jesus is doing. He's not trying to gather a crowd. It seems like every time he does gather a crowd, like in John chapter 7, he kind of drives them away. He says things like, yeah, take up your cross and follow me. And they all go running. They're like, I'm here for the miracles, not for the cross, dude. You're talking crazy. Hey, if you want to have part of me, I'm the bread from heaven. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. And they're like, whoa, dude, you're crazy. And they go running for the hills. So Jesus isn't trying to gather a crowd with his miracles. In John, there's seven great works that Jesus does, seven great signs, seven great miracles, just like there's seven I am statements, one of which we're talking about today. And in the seven great miracles, each of them point to the very nature of God. It's an unfolding of who God is in his character as revealed in Jesus Christ. So it's a claim to divinity. Jesus is showing them who he is. And, and then in John like 3, 2, somebody says, nobody can do the things this man does unless God is with him. That's a testimony of the Father. See that? So that's the first thing. Second thing is that people's response. They have this internal conviction when they encounter Jesus. Look at in John chapter 7, verse 46, when people listen to Jesus, they said, he knows what he's talking about. This one knows life. He speaks as no other man has ever spoken. They're saying, and he's right. What he says corresponds with, with my life's experience, the way I feel inside. That was the witness of the Father. And the third witness of the Father we see throughout John is the scriptures. The way the Father underscored and supported his claims was through fulfillment of the scriptures. How many times when you read the Bible do you see the actions of Jesus in his words and the circumstances in which he found himself? Sometimes often things in which he had no control, there was completely fulfilled prophecies from the Old Testament about him and predictions. 
So despite the constant witness of the Father, signs, scriptures, internal change, despite what they saw, heard, and felt, these people were rejecting Jesus, and they were ignorant of the facts. But that's not the only thing. They were not only ignorant, they were arrogant. John turns to the second reason why men and women remain in darkness. One of the things is our ignorance. The other thing is our arrogance. Look at verse 21 and 22. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin where I'm going. You cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come. And I read it like that because literally, if you read it in the Greek, that's it's like dripping with sarcasm and self-righteousness. They're rejecting him and saying, oh, is he going to kill himself now? Because the Pharisees believed that People that committed suicide, there was this like worst place in hell reserved for them. It was like extra torment and torture there for them. And so in response to his words, where I'm going, you cannot come, thank you. They reply, where's he going? Is he going to kill himself? These guys didn't consider themselves worthy of death. They're rejecting him because of pride. We can't go to hell. We're good people. There's no way God would kick us out of heaven. We are amazing. Do you see how I fulfill the law? I'm so awesome. If you're feeling like you're cool, man, go ahead. Brush your shoulders off, right? That's, that's what they're doing. I tried to throw a laugh in there so I could take a sip of water. Sorry. <laughs> wow, so dehydrated. So people, God could never really send to hell or shut from heaven. They were morally superior because of their religious performance. But listen to how straightforwardly, how lovingly, clearly, and faithfully Jesus answers them. He says in verse 23, You are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. In other words, all of your thinking is limited by your narrow range of experience. You're limited by the things you see, feel, touch, your senses. You don't understand that there's a a very real invisible world, a spiritual world out there. You don't understand what's going on. You've never seen the hand of God. You don't understand how all these historical occurrences are happening right now in this place, in this time, colliding in my life. You have no idea what's really going on. And then he continues. Let me shed some light on it, he says. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And that kind of shocks them back to reality, right? And so they say, okay, who are you? And Jesus said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I've heard from him. And they did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. These guys are so blind. So Jesus is saying, because you're so limited in your outlook, because you're looking for life only from your limited standpoint of what's happening in your day-to-day, you're in an unconscious bondage to the God of this world. You think you're moral and good, but that righteousness has become self-righteousness and pride and arrogance. You're hardening your hearts against the Messiah hardening your hearts against him because you don't want to receive this and you're living in slavery that will end finally in death and hell and I'm your only way out. I want you to see that. Do you see how loving and faithful he was to these people? I'm amazed when I read how patiently Jesus deals with people who are in darkness because he was very patient with me when 
I was in darkness. And over and over again in my life, when I've walked away from the light and been in darkness, he's been so loving and long-suffering and patient with me. And these aren't words of anger or accusation or condemnation from Jesus. It's love. It's an earnest pleading. You're going to die. Everybody is. And you will die in your sin unless you lay hold of the provision God has made for the sin of mankind. So it's because of their ignorance and it's because of their arrogance that they refuse to come to the light and they remain in the darkness. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because we weren't created for the cold, dark wilderness. We were created to walk in the light and the warmth and the intimacy of God. That's what you were shaped for. But our desire is to be Lord over our lives. So whether it comes from ignorance or from arrogance, what often drives us and keeps us in the dark is our desire to be in control and Lord over our lives. We want to do things the way we want, and that leads us out into a cold, cold, dark desert. And that's what John says in John 317, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved darkness rather than light because their works were evil. What's he saying? He's saying that we reject Jesus as the light because we want to live our way. We want to do things our way. Either because we want to live far from Christ and live out our broken desires blinded by ignorance, or because our arrogant hearts have puffed up and made us feel like we don't need him. We're victims of proud, hardened hearts. One of my favorite bands, um, Kenny uh, showed me this band a long time ago. They were really cool in an indie band, but then they, um, they became a pop culture, kind of a crossover band. Come to find out, they ran in a lot of the same circles as us. Kings of Leon, growing up, a lot of the same circles. You guys know Kings of Leon? <clears throat> And uh, Caleb wrote and recorded a song in one of his dark times, which, of course, the band, they're not really in church anymore. They're living that rock and roll lifestyle, really going for it. And um, Caleb wrote this song and recorded it when he was drinking pretty hard. And uh, here's how it starts off. Just listen to these lyrics. Because I I was praying about this sermon, this song popped in my head. I'm on a corner waiting for a light to come on. That's when I know that you're alone. It's cold in the desert. Water never sees the ground. Special unspoken without sound. You guys remember special unspoken prayer requests back in the day? (laughs) Then listen to this heartbreaking ending. This is what he says. Jesus don't love me. No one ever carried my load. I'm too young to fill this old. Yeah, yeah. That song is called Cold Desert. And Caleb said in an interview I was reading that he didn't even know what he'd written. He record, wrote it and recorded it, and it was pretty, pretty, pretty wasted. And um, when they played it back for him later, he broke down crying because he didn't realize that all that was going on in his heart. He's just writing from a place of brokenness. No wonder life felt like a cold desert. That's exactly what it was away from the light. And maybe some of you, as you came to church today, maybe you felt like you've been in a cold desert. Or maybe as you've heard the songs and listened to the scripture and heard the word of God today, maybe you've realized and and, and seen some of that inside yourself. Man, I've got some cold desert areas in my heart and my life where I'm not letting the light reach. Maybe you can relate today. 
And that's where the people in this passage are. And at first glance, it seems pretty hopeless. It seems pretty dark. Ignorance is blinding their eyes. Arrogance is blocking their hearts and keeping them from the light. But don't stop reading there because I've got good news for Caleb. I've got good news for every one of us. There's this passage that comes right here at the tail end. I love this paragraph. This is a wonderful paragraph. So knowing their blindness, knowing their pride, knowing their ignorance, Jesus said to them, verse 28, when you've lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own authority, but just, I speak just as the father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He's not left me alone for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And then John records how they respond. The last verse And as he was saying these things, many, and we're talking about many of the same people who were rejecting him, many of them believed in him. What made the difference? It was the cross. It was the cross. What does Jesus mean when you've lifted up the Son of Man? Well, he talks about that all throughout John. In John 12, actually, he makes it really clear. He says, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. And he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. See, this is the breakthrough point. This is where the light breaks through. As Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, they run. Jesus talks about living water, they run. But then the moment he starts talking about being lifted up, all of a sudden people start believing. When you see Jesus on the cross, that's when the light breaks through the darkness. That's when you begin to understand what he's saying, that if he's lifted up on the cross and gives himself for the sins of the world, when you see him hanging there for you, then you begin to see Jesus for who he really is. The Lord of glory, the the liberator of man, the redeemer of our sin, the cleanser of our shame, the, the one who can wash away all our stains and forgive us. Why? Because he took our place, amen? I want you to think about this as we close. Jesus on the cross, he faced the dark and the cold and the distance from God there on the cross so that we could walk in warmth and intimacy of his light. He faced loneliness so that we could be brought near. He became sin so that you could become righteous. He was wounded so that we could be healed. He was cast into darkness so we could forever walk in his life. And that is what the cross is all about. When you see the light of the cross, it'll melt your heart. When you see the light of the cross, it'll set you free from your bondage if you'll believe it. And that's what will bring you in from the cold, dark, lonely wilderness. Jesus is the light of the world. He wants to set you free. Can we stand? Jesus wants to set you free from uncertainty, from fear, just like I said in the intro, from wandering through the cold, dark, and unfamiliar wilderness to experience a closeness, a warmth, and a certainty in his life. Just like these people today in the text, you may have a variety of responses going on in your heart. What's able to help us get out of the dark and into the light? What What will let scales fall from our eyes so that we can see and not be blind at the dark anymore? What can let the the, the heart of stone crumble and be replaced by a heart of flesh? What frees us from ignorance and arrogance? It's seeing Jesus, seeing him as he is high and lifted up, his love for us on the cross. That's what will set you free. The gospel is what moves us from dark to light and from death to life. I want to pray for you guys. Um, And before I do, I just want to give some instructions about communion. And I want to leave you with this verse. But if you believe what, what we're talking about here, I want to invite you guys down to remember and proclaim the gospel to one another over communion. 
You know, the Feast of Tabernacles was a time of remembering God's deliverance to Israel, what he'd done. And he had him do it every year. And Jesus, what does Jesus say at the Last Supper? He says, do this as often as you take it. In what? Remembrance of me. This is, a, this is a moment where we get to remember that he is the light of the world, that you don't have to walk in darkness. Whether you've been repenting for a thousand years or whether this is your first time ever repenting and giving your heart to Jesus, he is the light of life. This is what he said, the last verse. I just want to read it again. As he was saying these things, many believed in him. I hope that as we take communion today or maybe just as we sing, or if you hang back even and just, just sit back in your seat and relax for a moment before we get together and sing, that the Holy Spirit would move on your heart, that the light would begin to break in. Because we all have areas of our hearts right now, probably even, that are full of darkness. But the light can break in and cause renewal. So three questions we're going to ask ourselves during communion. Where am I still living in the dark? How does Jesus being the light free me from that? And what could life look like in light of that? In the light. What could life look like in the light? So I'm going to pray. Um, Lord, thank you so much that you are the light of the world. That we literally receive all of our life from you. That we can't see anything apart from you. We need you. We need your direction. We need you to lead us. We need you to guide us. We need you to remind us that you're near. I pray that many of us today, that areas of our heart where we still don't believe that you are as good as you say or as gracious as you say or as glorious as you say, that we would be freed from that today to experience your nearness, to walk in the light. Let the light break into this place in Jesus' name. And may we have many stories over the next few weeks of the light breaking into people's lives all around this city. Have your way, Holy Spirit, in your name we pray. Amen.